Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Good evening and welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy, where we are recording at night, unlike our normal afternoon recording time. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me, as always, is Fred Moreland. Fred, did you have a nice Brazilian Christmas? I did. Uh, we should specify that was for the steakhouse and not the wax. Um, yeah, had a whole lot of meat, and uh, I am probably ever so slightly closer to gout in my lifetime, um, but it was uh, very fun. Well, if you get gout, that means you actually lived. And we are gonna we have a special guest for the first time on the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi. Somebody who knows how to live a good life, and his name is Suit Williams, the creator of the Dynamite Dozen. Something we are going to talk about extensively on today's show. Suit, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi. How are you? Good to be here. It's always great to be on with a New York Post uh, affiliated uh, sportscaster, Tyler. Good to see you, Fred. Good to be on with you, too. Howdy, howdy. Oh, yeah. I, I, I almost forgot that I did that that spot. That was that was really cool. You want to get the yeah. plug in, Tyler? I mean, you're going to... Yeah. Um, before the uh, Vikings played the Giants, um, the New York Post and SNY, which is like the New York City version of ESPN, essentially. It's like ESPN combined with Valley Sports. Um, they invited me on to do a, a quick six minute video on talking about specifically about the Vikings. And that was probably the biggest interview spot I've had in my career, which was a lot of fun. And I didn't screw it up, which is honestly the most important thing. Um, but go. absolutely. Um, but we are not here to talk about the Minnesota Vikings, which suit and I can probably bullshit about Vikings and saints lore for the rest of the time. We're oh, here to talk. <laughs> we're we here to talk about it. Oh yeah. We're here to talk about AEW dynamite. Guys, this Dynamite show was a very interesting one, and I kind of want to talk about – we're going to talk about all elements of it. Um, but one thing that I found really interesting about the show is that they actually gave the Elite a loss. Drop it, sorry, they did that last week, dropping it, them to 3-1, and one, and now they're starting the comeback in 3-2. Um, I thought this match was the worst of the series, and – I, it it feels to me like even, they're running out of ideas, even though they're not running out of out of ideas. Am I kind of off base here, or do you kind of feel the same way? I would. I am getting a little like, like I'm ready to get to seven, because like you know it's going the whole way, and I understand what they were trying to do, like 
the they want the elite to be like the baby faces in this scenario. So, you know, they knock them, they uh, put them down three one. So now they have to fight their way back. But the problem is, it makes matches five and six feel really like, all right, let's just get through this and get to match seven. I, you know, this was a fun match, but I also just, you know, it. Calling it the worst feels harsh, but it is the least best yeah. of the like, seven. Like I still it, gave it four stars, but it yeah. objectively, I thought, was the worst of the five. Yeah, like of the... Like on a random Dynamite, this has a good chance of being the best match on the show. It's just... It, this, it just exists in this seven-match series, and... Well, yeah, it... A match has to be the worst one, and this may as well be it. Yeah, I thought it was uh, quite good, but I would also agree that it was my least favorite of the series so far. Um, I, I just thought that it lacked something down the stretch that the other matches have had. It just didn't have that kind of big build to the finish. Uh, and uh, it's kind of, it ended, and it was like, oh, okay, well, sure. Uh, but it was still very impressive work with everyone. I honestly, I, I think this would end up being a bad call, but I, I kind of would like it if they finish after six, if they have Death Triangle win the sixth and uh, and just break the uh, the mold of these series that always go to the max. Um, I've realized that, you know, a ladder match between the six would be awesome and everything, but I just, you know, I just a, a deviation, I think, would be interesting, although probably a lot of people upset about not getting the the payoff. So here's my question about that. Cause I think this is a really interesting point and something that we really rag on WWE a lot for is the whole bait and switch. They have advertised. Now, obviously they have the out because we know professional sports do it all the time where it's an, if necessary game seven, but they have advertised that it's not just game seven, but it is a trios ladder match. So yeah. you're advertising that it's a special attraction. Now, you could do the sixth, and I think it would work both within uh, c- context uh, in and out of kayfabe, but you also could get a lot of bad faithers saying, hey, I was looking forward to going to Los Angeles and seeing Game 7 and this ladder match, and now I don't get to see it at all. I feel cheated because I bought a ticket. Now, obviously, you're looking at a smaller sample size with that arena only filling so much, but I think the sentiment would mean more than the a- actual amount of people affected. Um where do you guys stand on that? I think you're right. I think it would upset people. Um, it probably would not be a smart move. I think that it was more viable before they started announcing the steps for all the matches ahead of time. Once they said, and if it happens, game seven will be a ladder match, then it was pretty clear that uh, if we don't get to game seven, some people are going to be upset about that. Um, I. Th- oh, you go ahead, friend. No, that's all I had, really. Oh, um, I would say like. It's possible to end it in six, but the only way you do that is if you still have a big match for the Elite that you set up for that January 11 Dynamite. So I will throw an example off the top of my head. I don't know anything. Let's say Osprey and Aussie Open come over and they cost you know, the Elite that match. That not only builds up Osprey Omega at the Dome, but then you could do you could come back January 11th and do a trios match there. And so people are still getting that big elite trios match. It's just not the one they expected. It's a bait and switch, but they also get something 
that they would normally want. So I think there is a way to do it where people don't feel cheated by it. But it also just feels like a situation where it's like you don't want to overthink yourself. You don't want to think yourself out of a good idea. I think, you know, Death Triangle, Elite Ladder Match, in L.A., big city, uh, you know, second Dynamite of the year. I think that's something that uh, it's worth dealing with, like, the lows of these two matches being kind of, being kind of, uh, you know, we know what the finish is going to be where, you know, you get to the end point and it wor- it, it'll work out all the same because we won't, I'm not 100% sure who's going to win this whole series. My guess would be the Elite. I'm leaning like 70-30 Elite, but, you know, I think dealing with, you know, match five and six being what they are is worth getting to match seven instead of doing all of this to still get a good elite match on January 11th. You could just do the match everybody is expecting to be good anyway. Yeah. And, I mean, there is a cheap way for them to do it both ways is to have the Death Triangle cheat to win uh, as much as you can within the rules of Game 6 and then have the Elite do the Fiery Babyface Challenge for one more match in L.A. for the with the ladder step and Death Triangle accepts and then you just proceed with the match anyway. Though I don't really know what you'd be accomplishing with all that at that point. But... (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I just do think that like they had an opportunity to kind of do a like a non-destructive swerve, just do something a little different, just to keep everyone off guard. And then once they said like what the steps were, it was like, oh no, we just got to go to seven. There's no way around this. Yeah, and I think if they wanted to, I get what they were doing, putting the elite at a disadvantage. I think the elite should have won game four. That way, the only match where you really know the outcome is game six. Because then game five could go either way. Right. And then the only thing you know for game six is, okay, they're going to even it up. So, you know, both sides have their ups and downs. But, you know, I would have gone with tying it up and leaving only one match where you have that feeling of knowing how it's going to go. Yeah, and also I think that they're kind of referencing the infamous uh, Cleveland Cavaliers comeback against the Warriors from down Mm -hmm. 3-1 with all the basketball references. I think that's kind of what they're working towards here. It also feels like they're not just working towards that element, Fred, and just trying to continue to build up the elite, but if they end up winning this seven-match series, they're going to have won the last three matches in hardcore matches. And I think that says a little bit something as well. And I wonder if that's maybe a little too harsh on Death Triangle as kind of like just an overall booking perspective, because we know um, as much as we love Pac and think he should be at the top of a lot of these cards, he's not viewed and booked that way from our perspective by Tony Khan. Um, Khan has not put him in a lot of um, potential like, top programs he hasn't been involved in any kind of world title picture since the very beginning of the company i believe he i think he's had one title shot and he ended up losing that um in one of the first dynamites but outside of that he has kind of been booked like an upper mid carter and that's been very consistent if you end up just pushing the elite over with winning three straight essentially hardcore matches with the um notice qualification false gun anywhere in the in the trios ladder match are you 
risking yourself at putting some of these guys in death triangle in a hole that it's going to be very difficult for them to come out of, or is that just too much hyperbole? I don't think so. I think the story of the series has built up to the hardcore elements of the last three, where you have, you know, you had the hammer being the story of the first, what was it? Three, four matches. And then Kenny just saying, look, we're done having you sneak around with it. You know, if you want to get hardcore, let's get hardcore. And they, and now that everything's allowed, the elite can get in and they can, you know, now that everybody's even on the rules, the elite can come out and they can be on top and they can uh, even the playing field. So I don't think it's, I don't think it damages Death Triangle. I think it kind of fits the story. And I think depending on how well these last two matches go, I think if they're great, people aren't going to be like, thinking any less of death triangle like we know how good the lucha brothers are we know how great pack is and i think it's just a matter of just spinning them off into something else at that point if you want to keep them hot and the big question is what do they spin them off to because if they just you know if, if they do something they've done a little too much this second half of the year and just kind of let drop death triangle go off to the wayside without any real follow-up then it's probably going to come across as something of a disappointment but if they have a plan for them if you know assuming they do lose to the elite that they do like some kind of breakup angle or uh, something there then it could you know work long term yeah and i i I think how they book after this is going to be really interesting uh suit what were you going to say i was going to say i i don't know if you can break up death triangle because they don't have a they don't have a lot of trios like trios, I think, I think it's a little like overrated how big of a like set division you need, but I do think you need like a set of teams. Whether it's you know a singles guy with a tag team, you could make them a team like they did with AR Fox and Top Flight. You could do that with some more guys, and I think you could uh, build out a nice division. But like of the name teams they have right now, they've got you know these two teams. They got best friends. House of Black. Um, Los and Gobernables. Yes, the uh, La Fashion and Gobernable. Yeah. And then outside of that, you know, maybe Dark Order. I think Dark Order is still a thing. Oh, you, you can't. You can't. They are technically. Uh, you yeah. definitely can't forget about the Spanish Announce Project, which are uh, <laughs> everyone's tongues, featuring Deathmatch yeah. Legend uh, Luther. Japanese Deathmatch Legend. That's right, Japanese Deathmatch Legend. Feel some respect, Fred. I apologize. (laughs) And I I think, so you bring up an interesting point that we don't exactly have a lot of trios because one of the arguments for getting these trios titles initially was the fact that there was an abundance of trios in AEW. You had uh, Best Friends, you had SCU, you had The Elite, you had Jurassic Express, and there there were more. And it felt like there weren't a lot of factions there were a lot of trios and that was kind of the draw to having these belts. Now you're obviously dealing with injuries because once Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly come back, maybe we get Bobby fish back and, and we get uh, um, some formation of undisputed era, or maybe they join up with Taven and Bennett and do something with the kingdom. Like there's, once you get some of these guys back, you can start to integrate that. Maybe we get uh, some form of a trio with Darby and sting, which would be, hella hella fun for a nice pay-per-view title challenge but i thought we were getting miro with them actually at some point i was i was just gonna opine about that maybe it's miro because they've had 
they've had a loose bond and connection with each other. Um, I'm with you. I don't think Death Triangle splits up, but I will say this. I think the long-term story arc is for Phoenix to end up splitting up and Pac and Penta turning on him because of what we've seen with the hammer. And I think that is going to be something that we're going to want to watch play out over the course of time. I don't think it's something that's going to happen today. I don't think it's going to something that's going to happen in three months, but it feels like that they have planted that, that Phoenix is going to be the baby face and he's going to get turned on by the other two. They could always have Pinta stick with Phoenix though. You could always just play the brother card. And I think that would still be a viable Mm -hmm. option for him Um, because, you know, packs the heel phoenix is the baby face and pence's alignment is just violence so yeah and then you don't really need these guys to like split split like they could just go their separate ways and you know come back whenever they're needed like you don't have to do a like i turn on you thing it could be yeah. just more of like a hey i'm gonna go do my own thing over here mm-hmm. you guys have fun with your hammers <laughs> are you kind of talking like a mark and jay briscoe thing yeah, something like that. Something where it's like, uh, we don't need to like team all the time, but we're there if we need to team up. I got you. Okay, that makes sense. Um, that we obviously get match six coming up this Wednesday on Dynamite, which is false count anywhere. Which one thing we've known from this company, uh, they do a great job with uh, like um, tornado style tags. They do a great job with hardcore matches. But one thing that they, I feel like, has become a specialty, they do awesome with false count anywhere. Um, Anarchy in the arena is going to be mat, uh, match of the year for a lot of people. It's probably going to end up in the top ten of the VOW poll. Um, I believe right now it's number three for me, and the only thing ahead of it are dog collar matches. Um, and I'm very, very excited because I hell even when I was at Full Gear last year, they did that ten man tag with. Uh, um, all the all the MMA guys and Dan Lambert, men of the year. Like on I rewatched it back. It was nowhere near as fun on, on TV than it was live. But they made that disaster of a match good because I think this company just understands how to utilize space, timing, and utilize the crowd for some of those elements without being too overblown. Yeah, especially with these guys, you know, you got, you know, Phoenix is gonna jump off of something stupid high. You've got the mm-hmm. Bucks who are really good at just the party match flying around, you know, using their environment to their advantage. Yeah, and then you've got Omega and Pac who are two, you know, brilliant workers. So I think, you know, of the Falls Count Anywhere thing, I think it's going to be, you know, on the higher end of those. I think this one's going to keep up AEW's trend of having these really good hardcore matches. I mean, going back further, even uh, Stadium Stampede, the first one I thought was, you know, considering the time and place and everything, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was exactly what wrestling needed at that point in time. But, and of course, the key people to that were uh, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. So. Mm-hmm. And d- don't forget um, Matt Hardy 2.0, baby. I, I will always pop for any Mattitude spot. I, I think those are just fun. He can, especially when they're but, underwater. The, the magic stuff can hit the bricks, but when they threw those graphics up, I was all hooked. That was. That alone is five stars worthy. But let's let's continue moving on. We have a lot that we sh- we need to talk about here tonight before we get to um, the reveal of our running dynamite dozens. Um, this show opened up in a very interesting way, gentlemen. Um, Ricky Starks um, opened up the show in the ring uh, with a promo, uh, talking shit about MJF, which um, went over like a million bucks. 
And Fred, I said it on last week's show. I thought he was going to team with Chris Jericho. And I think you agreed with me because of how Jericho casually mentioned him in a promo a few weeks back. Everything in this company matters. It's one of the things I love most about it. It's the only, in my opinion, American wrestling company that does this so well. And obviously they get it from Dragon Gate where every little detail matters of every single second of that company. And now we get um, a it's finally a shift from the JAS. And that seems to be Ricky Starks and Action Andretti, who that match is now not just lost in vain. And it's actually going to mean something as he gets some real time with Chris Jericho. Uh, gentlemen, what did you think of the segment? And how excited are you to see Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho? Suit, you go ahead. Oh, yeah, I think... I'm so excited for Starks. I've seen it with him since like the NWA. Like he he really feels like one of those organic like AEW names that's going to take the ball and just run with it all the way like Forrest Gump. He's going to run with it through the end zone into the tunnel. Like he has mm-hmm. hit his groove. The people are into it and I think him being in this Jer- Jericho feud, he's really going to stand to benefit from it. I think, you know, being able to be in the ring and being able to, you know, eventually beat a guy like Jericho is going to really matter for, uh, you know, people seeing Starks as that main event level talent. Um, one thing about the promo that I liked is that I like Jericho didn't take any shots back at Starks. After Starks cut his promo, he let him win that verbal argument. I think a lot of guys would have tried to like get a little shine back before having, you know, having the beat down go ahead. I like that Jericho let Stark shine on the mic and uh just let him have that for a second. And then Andretti getting in the mix, it's it's cool, you know. I haven't seen enough of him to like really gauge his potential. You know, I've only seen like the QT match that everybody saw on but, you know, people who watch dark have seen but you know he seems solid they're getting behind him people are into it hey i can't be mad at it and you know he'll stand to benefit because he was not a person on this show before before he beat chris jericho so hey he'll he'll land into a nice little spot going through this so thumbs up all around i think this is pretty good yeah, I was I was concerned that he'd be forgotten just because sometimes that happens with AEW. Uh, he wasn't Starks wasn't forgotten, and I think that'll the fact that they're actually falling off this on this will really help both of them out, especially Starks. So I think could be like a legitimate, you know, like near term future world champion. It's just a matter of time with him. But yeah, I really like the segment. I uh, like it set up. I like having. Uh, be the cavalry because you know if you're going to put one of those two guys in the talking role it's got to be starks no i i 100 agree there fred i think you do need to put um starks in kind of that role um did fred just freeze there he is he is back um i think like I, I I had never heard the comparisons to The Rock before um, it was mentioned in that promo. And maybe it's just because I live under a rock. Uh, but it it also made a lot of sense to me just the way they carry themselves. There are some people that just have an aura around them. And whenever they perform, whenever they talk, whenever they wrestle. Because I don't think Ricky Starks, the wrestler, 
is all that tremendous. I think he's very good, but I don't think in ring he's anything special. What makes him special is his charisma and his, his ability to promo, his ability to convince you of what he is and who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. Those elements, I think, are so so similar to what The Rock was because The Rock was no tremendous in-ring worker. He was good to very good who had moments that, like, I don't think he ever delivered a five-star match. But, I mean, I, I suppose you could probably talk about uh, WrestleMania 17 being probably his closest one. Um, but the spectacles, and he thrived in those big moments like WrestleMania 18 against Hulk Hogan. I think you have some of that with Ricky Starks where he can deliver probably on a higher level than the rock. Like we'll talk like when we talk about the dynamite dozen, we'll probably end up talking about his match with MJF for the AEW world title. Like that to me was a tremendous match where he showed some more of that in ring acumen. And I'm really excited to see how this push ends up going. I don't know if he ends up being the guy to win the belt from MJF. I still think of everybody that needs to be Wardlow, but that shouldn't happen for at least 12 to 18 months. I just, I wonder, because Starks is in his early 30s, so it's not like we're talking about some super young buck here. He's he's in the prime of his athletic career. How soon can they pull the trigger on him? How soon will they pull the trigger on him? And will they end up being too late considering what they currently have with MJF? I think all of these elements are going to be so fun as a wrestling fan to watch with Ricky Starks. Cause I think he has everything that you want to be the top guy, but will he ever get the ball and be able to run with it? I think, I think he has the tools to be that guy, the number one guy on the, on the show. I agree with all your points about, you know, like, I think he's a little bit like, I think he's a little better in ring than you, but I like that charisma that that vibe that he has of just I'm a big deal that helps him so much. And I think that's going to make him and I think a guy like Swerve also has that vibe. Uh, We'll get to him later, I assume. But yeah, I think Starks can be that top guy. The The problem is with MJF right now. I don't think he's losing that belt for another year. I think they're going to go full bore, you know, uh, 2024 on this, on him. So, you know, they have a year, they have a lot of guys that are, that uh, are built up to, you know, challenge him and see if they could take the belt from him. I'm not, I'm not sure if Ricky's that guy yet. But ask me in a year, and he very well could be. If he keeps putting in performances like he has been the past month, he very well could be by year, by next year's end. I I say you could do it right now, and it'd be completely fine. I mean, I, that's just how much how high I am on Ricky Starks at this very moment. Uh, I think he's good enough in the ring. It's kind of like uh, MJF a year ago or 18 months ago where like, I don't think anyone would have really clamored to call him one of the best wrestlers in the world, but he was like stealthily good. Like he was better than I think people had realized at that point in time. And I think Starks has enough tools where that he can get by as a main event wrestler in the ring. Um, I mean, and of course what really sets him apart is all the charisma and everything. So he's a, I think he, 
is ready. Uh, I think the first uh, MGF program has set him up to be ready, and uh, I think it's just a matter of uh, lining him up at the right point in time. Yeah, I, I think I would agree there. I'm just the one thing that worries me is MJF, and we talked about this, Fred. I, I would have been totally fine if they did the switch, especially how, with how much of a star Ricky came off in that promo leading up to the match, and then I thought he delivered in the match too, but. You have MJF and you have this. I don't. I'm not going to throw this around lightly, but MJF has the potential to be a generational star, and I think we're seeing a lot of those elements, like similar to what Ric Flair was in the '70s and '80s. A guy that is so consistent can deliver whenever you want, whenever you need, and he can do it in a multitude of ways. I, I mean, we still haven't seen MJF deliver a 60-minute time limit draw but it's also not that era anymore. So those elements we see with MJF, it's going to be very hard for anybody else to really bust through. Like Kenny Omega is really downshifted towards the trios program, which let's be honest, those belts were made for the elite anyways. Um, but I, I worry that they may miss the mark on him just because they have MJF. And I, we're going to have to wait and see and try and, and just let it play out. But that's a big concern for me. Well, I think the uh, sixty-minute uh, time limits are going to be coming with Danielson coming up. I got yeah. a feeling that those two are going to go long. Um, but um, as far as like, I think you could, I think you could pull Omega out. Like when people were worried about Kenny Omega when he was teaming with Hangman and before that, I always held the point. You could heat up Kenny Omega in two weeks and he'll be just fine and the people will be ready. And I was actually wrong. They did it in two minutes. If you remember that uh, Sunny Kiss squash he had, which was mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah, Kenny's back. Yeah. So I don't worry about Omega. I, what I think they're doing with their guys, and I always, whenever a wrestling company has like a lot of talent, I always like, try and think who's their big four like uh tyler you brought up dragon gate before they had their big six and they had their you know that generational era with guys like uh shingo and tozawa and bb hulk and all of them you know you think of wwe in 2000 where they had you know austin rock triple h foley or you know late 99 2000 they had those guys with aew i think their four guys are Omega, the Bucks as one person, uh, Moxley, and then the fourth, I would have said CM Punk. I also would have said Adam Cole. I guess now it's MJF. So you, when you have that, those established four guys, you can kind of mix them in around the card while kind of bubbling up guys underneath. So while MJF's working with Ricky Starks and while he's working with Danielson, you've got Moxley over in the side with Hangman. You've got Omega and the Bucks doing this trio stuff. So it all kind of like, when you have that much talent and that many people who you can bounce off of, that kind of dynamic talent that they have, I really think... I think it works that everybody's off kind of doing their own thing because then when those two match, those two top four guys match up, then it's like that's a big deal. 
Like when Omega, like you know, in six months' time, if Omega comes out to challenge MJF, that's a big deal. So I, I'm not worried about it. You know, things happen. Obviously, scrums happen, pandemics happen, injuries happen. A lot of things have happened in this company, but you know, you can't play scared money. You know, you gotta go with uh, your plan and hope it works out. Yeah, and the thing with AEW is that uh, with having these establishment eventers um, is, you know, once you're established, you know, at a, at a true high level, uh, you can be microwaved real quick. Like, look at Brian Danielson. Like, for most of 2022, he was a secondary character in a storyline that went six months too long. Um, but he, uh, you know, all it took was, like, basically one promo on MJF, and I think he's a, 100% a viable challenger to to him right now and i think like he's got you know all the juice back that he needs to make mean something right now uh and you know i kind of harped on this a couple weeks ago with uh you know they they need you know tony khan needs to keep that in mind because you know like daniel garcia i felt like was getting over really well we talked about this uh but then they just kind of were like and he rejoined the jas and that's it for four months and it's just like, well, he's not a level of guy where you can shift him off to the side and easily reheat him. You need to get him to that level first. And I feel like they failed to do that. But uh, Danielson or Omega or even Moxley, those are guys are all where they don't need to do that. They, they don't need to be established. They are established. And then you just microwave them up and they're ready to go and challenge whoever. Yeah. And I, you know, talking about this, it's kind of put an idea in my head that the guy that needs to beat MJF is an AEW, like an AEW guy through and through. So whether it's Starks or whether it's Darby or whether it's like Eddie Kingston or something, like it has to be a guy that's like AEW through and through because MJF selling this like whole, you know, I might bounce in a year type scenario. Um, As far as guys like, Garcia go I think people get a little too like I don't want to say impatient with it but I do think they're a little like they're not wrong with the arguments like Garcia did disappear like after he joined the JAS again I figured we were going to get another Danielson match but that never happened yeah but he just went into the wallpaper like that was the yeah Problem. That was the the entire problem with it was he got hot, people wanted him to break away, and then he decided to not break away. Fine, but then there was like nothing else with him right. for a couple months. And I, I get the argument, and I do agree with it, but I also see that he's like, you know, he's twenty four, he's a year younger than me, like he's got time to like blow up into that top guy. So I'm. I'm somewhere in the middle. Like, I understand that, like, he he vanished and he shouldn't have, and there should have been a little bit more of a plan with him post, you know, rejoining the JAS. And I think we're getting that now with yeah. him teaming up with uh, Sammy. But I also think they've got time with him. He's young. He's died in the wool. They've got him, you know. There are bigger fish to fry than oh, yeah. Garcia right now. 
I don't disagree. I just think it was a very odd and not really good booking to just like put him on ice immediately with no follow up. And yeah. and now we're finally doing the the Wardlow accountability buddy uh, gimmick again with him, which I don't. I'm not saying that in a, a negative way. I think it's actually going to work really well with those two. But it just feels like this is the angle from last rampage is the one that they should have done like back like two weeks after he decided to rejoin. Yeah, it's weird. That's all. Yeah, it is a little weird, but the let's be honest, the the JS is weird because right when uh, the Action Andretti was interviewing, um, I believe it was Action Andretti, um, Jericho threw a fireball into his face, bringing back the Wizard. So the Ocho is dead, and the Wizard is back, and that is going to continue. But what I found interesting was the direction of uh, right around here, the direction of the World Title Program. Um, they played footage from um, the previous week after MJF won the title match and MJF just um, delivered a fiery promo. Um, but what I was really disappointed by, and I want your opinion, did MJF miss an opportunity to make fun of Brian Danielson for being vegan? Because he kept saying, you eat off my plate, but he could have just made a meat reference and then just totally ripped into him for the fact that he at least at one point was vegan. I, I just feel like that was a missed opportunity that somebody like MJF wouldn't wouldn't miss i heard that that was a reference to um that menu movie with uh ralph fines in it i haven't seen it yet but i heard that was a reference to that oh oh interesting I completely missed that yeah me too i there's a lot of movies i need to see i need to see glass onion That's i'm hyped good. for that if you like the first one you'll like this one i think so. oh yes i love the first one I spent too much time this holiday season watching Die Hard and making sure that Hans Gruber fell off the the, the top of that skyscraper because it's not Christmas until you see that scene. Um, but I, I also we also had um, Brian Danielson uh, talking about the Blackpool Combat Club essentially trying to continue to smooth things over that he doesn't expect them to forgive Regal because he's done some pretty bad things, but because of Regal, he is who he is. And... Now we get some more Ethan Page bullshit. And <laughs> it to me, gentlemen, this feels like a way to pass the time for Brian Danielson until Revolution when you get the we finally get the Danielson MJF match. It, do you think that's the direction or are they gonna try and speed this up and do um a Danielson MJF TV match? I don't think you can wait that long because Revolution's first week of March, right? That's another. I think that's right. That's you're talking ten dynamites from now. I uh, Revolution could be the rematch, I guess. I don't know how that would do business wise, but all right. So the di- the first dynamite of the year is in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Are yep. they still there? Because I think they're doing Battle of the Belts that weekend and a and a rampage. I would have to check. Let me. Put it uh, I think I got it pulled up here. Com. According to Cage Match, we've got um, let me filter by Dynamite so it has less duplicates. I okay, can't I that. found it. I... Okay, so they are in Seattle for Dynamite. They're in Portland for Battle of the Belt and Rampage. So, do you do a title match first week of the? Well, you can't really do it because that's one week build. Oh, you can do really... it. I don't know. They don't really like to do that. I think they maybe though but you could. I think 
Either way, I think they're going to do it on TV. I don't know when. Like, because my thought process was the pay-per-view is going to be MJF and Moxley again. That was my initial thought. But now, you know, he's got this hangman thing going. Now they're in different feuds. So I'm not sure, but I don't think they could spread this out for... 10 weeks. I think that it would get very Sting Team Taz by then. But at least, you know, these guys are creative, so I think it would be a little less than that, but that just feels too long. That feels too long. Unless they do the MJF, you know, puts roadblocks in front of people, you know, the five stages of whatever that that they like to do with MJF. If they do that, then maybe they can pull it off yeah i think uh yeah i mean there is a possibility i kind of you know don't want to see that again i'd rather not that not be like an annual mjf storyline <laughs> but they like their annual mjf storylines motions at the diamond ring um yeah i mean it's an option though well you don't want to see danielson versus paul london on dynamite well, it can't be Brian Kendrick. That's, uh, I think that's over. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I would love to see uh, Danielson versus uh, Paul London on Dynamite. Uh, the way Paul London did his little backflip you do drop kick was one of my favorite things. The it's, drop kick's all right. Oh, I, I love, I loved his little drop kick, even though it, it looked ridiculous compared to everybody else's. I just thought it was hella fun. Maybe the match will just actually be them recreating their infamous PWG promo. With the bees? Yeah. (laughs) And the dolphins, I think. They're dolphins, too, if I recall correctly. I think so. Paul London smoked a lot of weed. (laughs) Surely. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. How could we we possibly know? Yes. Don't want to. We don't want to be telling lies about Paul London smoking weed. He should allegedly team up with Rob Van Dam and form a tag team where they just would just blaze up the the independent scene. They come out, uh, they come out, uh, in a like they come out of their locker room and it's full of smoke, like Goldberg's entrance. <laughs> <laughs> all all of a sudden, their promos are just them recreating that '70s show circles. There you go. Now we're getting NXT with it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let, let's move on because we don't need to talk about that trashy uh, television show. Um, FTW champion Hook faced off against Exodus Prime, and this was a squash match directly to lead into what we saw with Big Bill and Lee Moriarty attacking Jungle Boy backstage. This was a very weird segment for two reasons, gentlemen. One, it, Hook looked like he didn't care, which I get is the antithesis of his character, and that's, that's what he fine. Does. But what I had an issue with was how they had like focused the camera on him walking to the back. And as he's halfway up the ramp, they play John Moxley's music. This company needs to let things breathe and they need to have a smoother transition than that. Cause I thought that kind of just devalued hook a little bit. I actually liked that. Um, you know, okay, as, as explain because I hated it. I, hated I, it. I liked it because it had like the old school nitro feel of like things are happening at all times, not in a, it needs to breathe away, but like, yeah, someone's getting their ass kicked backstage, but also John Moxley is coming out for his match now. Uh, kind of way it worked for me. I don't know. 
kind of like they timed it where like okay hook's gonna have this match he'll be done and then mox will have his but you know the beat down on jungle boy in the back was like well that's unexpected we didn't think that was gonna happen yeah and as far as uh hook not like running after him like what was he gonna do he jungle boy was already in the trash can like yeah. There Jungle was Boy was, was deceased was, at that point, so there was nothing to save. It was done. It's like, oh, well, they got us on this one. I, I, I suppose I'm not worried in a vacuum about the fact that he walked off so slowly. Like, that's fine. Like, I get he really can't do anything about it, but I, my major concern was they didn't show him at all with any kind of urgency. They, I thought they showing him was the part that I had an issue with, not that he exuded those emotions. I get it. I'm probably just picking it apart too much. He kind of subtly did change his facial expressions to look like angrier, like in my opinion on his way out. So, and for hook, that's basically like just run through a wall. Yeah. You got him to care. Well, I agree. Yeah, I I think that's, that's basically encro- what happened. It is encroaching on Orange Cassidy territory a little bit. Like now he cares. Is Exodus Prime the worst ring name ever? It's the best ring name ever. Oh, what are you talking uh, about? I mm, okay. It just sounds if, so indie rific. If you're gonna have the name Exodus Prime, you need to have the same gear Alex Coglin had when he when he did his little game. <laughs> you gotta have you gotta go absolutely egregious with it if you're gonna be named Exodus Prime. You maybe, gotta have a tag team member named Bumblebee or Ironhide. Maybe he did. He was he was in the ring when the when uh, Hook came out. <laughs> Who could so, possibly yeah. say? We weren't uh, in that building. To to be Exodus Prime is a big Carter and Kaiju big battle. So, like, that's that's the only place that name works for me. You're not going to get a reference of Kaiju Big Battle on any other AEW podcast, let me tell you that. Um, then, as we talked about John Moxley coming out, he had a match with Top Flight's Darius Martin, who was the more hyped um, half of Top Flight before he ended up with two major injuries over the past the course of the past couple of years. I thought this match was pretty good. Moxley just kicked his ass and uh, Darius fought back with some uh with some fun offense but I I thought this was a good way to just keep Mox involved on television. I wasn't really into this. You know, it it felt like they didn't really do anything. Like Darius was kind of just like a guy for Mox to beat up. And then he had a little shine, but, like, it was too long for a squash, but it was too short to, like, it was too long for a squash, but Darius didn't really do enough to, like, feel like a threat. So, I I don't know. This didn't really do anything for me. And, you know, it did kind of build up to the $300,000 Three Kings Christmas Casino Trios Royale on uh rampage which uh he got he got his back on uh moxley there but i didn't really feel like this did anything for darius here i don't think it really did much for darius but i thought it was a solid enough match i thought that it was uh you know sufficiently 
it was well worked and uh we got boxley being nasty down the stretch to win and uh i don't know i thought this was like three and a half stars you know nothing to really freak out about but like if someone was like is there anything i should check out on dynamite i was like well if you have time you know make sure you work in mox darius but that's as strong as i'm gonna go on it yeah that's kind of where i'm at i thought it was it was a fun tv match uh darius got some spots in but i suit i feel you i feel you 100 percent the uh the element where it just didn't feel like it mattered it didn't feel like like darius really did a whole lot i thought he did enough but i i get where you're coming from at the same time it's it was a a match thrown together that just didn't deliver nearly to the level that it could have and i feel like that i i left there as you did just wanting a little more yeah you see it and you think like okay, they're going to give Darius a little shine here. Like, not that he's going to beat him or anything, but you you think of the matches that Dante Martin's had with yeah. the, like, top names, and you think, okay, Darius is going to have a little shine here. And I just didn't get that feel from him yet. So, you know, maybe we'll get more of that next week. As You know, he'll, he'll be in the tag match, and things will be maybe it'll be a little bit more comfortable for him. But I didn't really get uh, – I didn't really feel any, like, shine for him in this one. Yeah, that's that's about it there. Um, this was absolutely absurd. And my favorite part was um, that we're obviously going to talk about Swerve and Argory finally breaking up after they should have broken up. It feels like six years ago. Um, Rick Ross, the best part of the entire show, looking at Keith Lee, you a big motherfucker. Just all 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 time stuff. Um, Rick Ross, I think needs to get the all elite graphic cause he's, he's a better talker than four out of five people on the roster, but this ended up with Parker Bordeaux attacking Keith Lee. And then, um, Rick Ross saying it's time to make history. You get, um, a third guy who's been identified, but I cannot remember the name and baseball Swerve, guy. Yeah. He was a former baseball player. Now he's got a lot of like facial tattoos that they, yeah, it's like Post Malone um, kind of stuff. And he uh, does the double stomp uh, into a cinder block on Keith Lee's chest. And now you're going to get these guys feuding. And it looks like Swerve has his own stable moving forward, which I think is good for him. Uh, Grandin Getzman, a former second-round draft pick by the Tampa Bay Rays. Yep. Uh, uh, that is a face tattoo guy. Um you want to go ahead, Fred? I was just going to say he was in the, the minors through 2019. I think he played last year in Mexico, and that was basically it for his career. Um, stuck around for a while, but just never really broke through. Yeah, this segment was, like, weird and fun, but it was also really bad. Yeah, like, it was there... it was a more fun version of the infamous uh, Roddy Piper tries out his guys to take on the NWO with, and they're all just like nobodies. Or the Cody weigh-in, which I was yeah. alive for. Yeah, that's another good one. That um... was fun. Um, but yeah, um, if it felt like no one knew this segment was happening when it happened. It was like it came up and everybody was like, Wait, where's Swerve? Wait, where's the other guys? Like, why is everyone not here? Like, I feel like if everybody hit their cues when they were supposed to come out, like, this would have... It still would have been weird, but it would have felt like a tighter segment. This just felt like 
everything was off by like 10 seconds. I think those were the cues, though. I, I think the cues were for like Swerve to walk out late as, you know, as a FU to Keith Lee. And I think that Parker was supposed to come out before Baseball Guy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't get him like getting taken out by Keith Lee rather easily. I don't think that's a great way to you know, introduce Parker Boudreaux as a, as a heater, but Hey, that's what happened. And then, um, and then baseball guy just like randomly runs in. Um, I think that was all the plan. I can't say it was a good plan, but that was, that seemed to be the plan. I do get Keith fighting off Bordeaux. Like I, I like him being like over, like eventually overwhelmed by all three guys. Yeah, I like that, but it felt yeah. like it was way too way too easy for him to take out Parker because Parker's, you know, supposed to be a big guy, it's supposed to be a heater, mm-hmm. kind of like in the big bill kind of role. And uh instead he hit, you know, Keith Lee like three times and then waggled his arms around um in between each one. Yeah, uh, like, and taunt heavy guy. Very he's yeah. he's still got that NXT thing. Super NXT. You you celebrate after every single move that you hit. Dude. Hit a clothesline, pick him back up, and hit him again. You don't, you yeah. don't need to celebrate like you. You just um, gave Andre the Giant a spine buster. Like it, it's, it's okay. You can just go to the next spot, and it's not a big deal. And Look, he's, he's got to hit that up button, get that finisher going, man. Like, it's like, it's like playing <laughs> no mercy, going. playing no mercy with the center stick all messed up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like yeah, after every single move, it was like, all right, gotta get my heat in. Yeah, here I am, waggle. All all that taunting reminds me of countless hours I would play SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain, trying to get that that 619 going from Rey Mysterio. (laughs) Those were the days. I I do think that we got to see what it would have been like if uh, Bailey's wacky inflatable tube men in NXT were actually just Parker Berdera's just standing (laughs) up on stage. (laughs) Oh, this this episode is off the rails, as was the main event of this match, which honestly was tremendous. Jamie Hayter versus Hikaru Shida. Hayter ends up retaining, but this was hard hitting. This this was like they just beat the living crap out of each other. And then you get you get the subtle Britt Baker interference spot, and Jamie Hayter still has no idea what's going on, continuing that story while delivering a tremendous main event. Um, if I recall correctly, this is the third women's match to main event a show, and I think the first two were Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. I think so. Um, um, this I is think, tremendous. I th- This is random, but I do think there was another one. I think it was Mercedes Martinez versus Deanna Perrazzo. For the ROH women's title. That might have been right. And I remember that because I'm thinking, why is this the main event? Like, was that a dynamite a or a rampage? I'm pretty sure that was a dynamite. Okay. I will double check myself to be sure. But uh, to go back to this match, it was fantastic. Like, uh, Jamie Hayter's had two of the best women's matches in company history in her last two matches, which yeah. is. Uh, very which is a very good uh trend um you know people talk a lot about you know how do we get the uh how do we get the uh women's division over in AEW and you know it's simple just get your talented people in and put them in positions to shine you know that's what they did with the acclaimed 
You know, they were getting some heat, and so they put him in a big spot at All Out. And that match was absolutely incredible live. And now they're the hottest team, you know, in the company, you know? That's how anything gets over in wrestling. Just find some talented people, you know, get people used to them, and then put them in a spot to shine. And that's what people, and that's what um, they've done here. And we're going to get, you know, Tony Storm came out afterwards, and she got involved, and then we had Soraya coming out. So we still got that build for the uh, January 11th tag match. Um, I do have a little fear in the back of my head because they are going to, uh, AEW is going to the UK next year. I have a sinking feeling that, you know, Jamie Hayter is going to have this, you know, best AEW women's title reign ever. And I have a fear that Soraya is going to be the one to end it in, in England. And, um. I'm very worried about that. You think they would do a Brit versus Brit title match? Because in theory, Brit well, versus Jamie, who, you mean? No, um, Jamie Hayter's also British. Oh, so if, they go, if they if they go to the UK, step on your joke. Who? No, what's? Oh, I'm not. I'm not trying to be a joke, but even though it, it was good, um, but if you had like the whole idea of going to somebody's home country. And doing a show there or even a hometown oh. is they're going to be the baby face. And then the other the opponent's going to be the heel. Who's who's going to be the baby face and heel if they're if it's both their home countries. So I, that gives me some cost in front of your plan actually working. Here's what I thought you meant. I thought you were talking about Britt Baker and I thought you messed like messed up what you were saying. I didn't think <laughs> British versus British. I thought Brit versus, you know, the dentist versus the dentist. Ah, uh, that you makes could sense. put someone that kind of looks like Britt Baker in there and have it be British. Yeah, what's that um other toxic attraction person doing? <laughs> she kind of looks like Brit. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yes, for uh. Uh, for the record, Mercedes Martinez defeats uh, Deanna Perrazzo. That was the main event of AEW Dynamite in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. All the stars. All the I stars. Don't, I don't remember that at all. It I do had, remember it and how cold it was. It like has a match. cage match rating of 4.86. So I Ooh. do not blame you for not remembering. I mean, I like Deanna Perrazzo. I like Mercedes Martinez. I have zero recollection of that one that match happening. Too, if that main event to Dynamite, there must have been some segment afterwards. No, it was the last match. No, it was the last one. It was like the last Brock, segment, the Brock Anderson Malachi Black uh, battle for the ages. That was also the weird main event of a Dynamite. Ah, uh, well. Anyways. This match absolutely kicked ass, and it was... This was a lot better than that uh, Mercedes and a Deanna match. I will say yes. that. Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> now, look, before we move on to the Dynamite Dozen, which, suit, I'm going to give you a lot of time to, to talk about your, your creation of this and something that we're hoping to continue with its lineage and, and keep people refreshed on how good some of these matches are. 
Um, Fred, I have not had an opportunity to watch Rampage because college football has consumed my life. 13 and five against the spread so far in bowl season, baby. But um, what did we get on Rampage this week? Uh, well, before you get to Rampage, you actually completely forgot, and I don't blame you for it, uh, Gun Clubs versus FTR uh, was a match that happened this week, and it was like easily the most forgettable FTR match in a long time. The only notable Which is, thing about it. It's really disappointing because the yeah. Guns won. Yeah. It was a really flat finish. Guns didn't really come out looking particularly good. It was a cheap finish, which I mean, their heel is so fine. But like FTR just wasn't like didn't have a performance that would make this, you know, worthwhile to watch. It was just like a three star match. And you're like, okay, that's fine. But like, you know, if you at this point in time, if you have a match with FTR and one half of it, like you're definitely expecting way better than that. But it was just like, like I have three notes and one of them is about the guns wearing Bret Hart's collars. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, my only note for this match was, I don't know, they didn't really do anything. Yeah, it, it was just, you know, we talked about Mox and Darius and I think Suit was the one that said that, like, there wasn't enough happening in it. This was a real nothing happening match at points. Like, yeah. I was just very much like, well, let's, let's get this moving, guys. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just a hell of a thing. Rampage. Like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make one note. Like, I like the guns, but there is like, you know, there's a drop off from the Briscoes and Aussie mm-hmm. Open to the Gun Club. As much as I do like them, I think they got potential, but like, you know, this performance was not really, yeah, you know, nothing inspiring. Exactly. It helps. It helps that what Austin is like 26 and Colton's like 22. They're young. Like They're very that. young. Yeah. But. You know, still, this was just like meh with FDR in there. That's that's not great. Uh, yeah. Rampage was fine this week, entirely fine. Um, it was like a five out of ten show. The trio's uh, battle royal gimmick was a decent idea, but I don't think it worked really well until the end when they got down to a final four of Mox and Claudio against uh, Top Flight. Uh, and those those four worked really well together. There was a cool spot with Adam Page finally having enough and running in to fight Moxley, and that leading directly to Mox's elimination by a top flight drop kick by Darius, I believe. Um, and uh, you know that was a cool way to protect Moxley but get him out of there. Um, and then Top Flight versus Claudio was one of the best uh, handicap matches I've seen in a while. To be honest, like they just worked really well together. Claudio was doing uh, several cool. Uh, power spots so like i think the best part of the show was like the last three minutes of this battle royal but top flight one they get the money um top flight and ar fox and ar fox that's right yes yes they um, are the trio that won the three hundred thousand dollar three kings christmas casino trios royale six one two baby minnesota Let's go. <laughs> but this was just like three stars. Like for, for an AEW Battle Royal, like they did some stuff in there, but it was still kind of disappointing. Uh, you had a Kingston and Ortiz promo where like Eddie talked about how he was, this was weird a little bit. Uh, it talked about how he was buddies with Ortiz and they were going to fight House of Black. And then House of Black cut a promo where Malachi very spookily said that uh, maybe Ortiz is on their side because they didn't really beat him up that one week. And then Kingston despite like in kayfabe being friends with Ortiz for decades, like immediately was like, ah, I don't know if I can trust this guy, (laughs) which was really weird. If you think about it for like three seconds, 
Malachi Black found a very convoluted way to say yes. what Fred said. I liken Malachi Black to Kobe Bryant in the old Kobe system commercials, where uh, <laughs> if you remember, you know, he's Kobe Bryant and I'm Kanye West going, what is this dude talking about? And I realized me saying I'm Kanye West is not the greatest thing at this time, but you know, tug on the collar a little get, bit right here. Watch the commercial. You'll understand where I'm coming from here. And then my other point is they did beat up Ortiz, though. Yeah, they still hit him with moves and stuff. Yeah, they beat him up outside of the ring. Like, did they forget they weren't supposed to? Like, And and that was after, like, initially, like, just being like, oh, we're not going to beat you up. Then, then, like, two minutes later, like, ah, ah, we are. Surprise. I just have matches, House of Black. Please, I want to like you. You yeah, I mean, it would have been cool. a fine promo if, like, it hadn't been the world's longest run on sentence. Yes. If the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Then the is the friend, friend of my friend, my enemy, makes you think. If they go to the bakers on Monday and Tuesdays, will it be closed? Like... It's just ridiculous. Uh, uh, there, there was a there was a fun segment with Daniel and Sammy backstage with uh, Renee, where I mean it was very much like the the Wardlow uh, Sean Spears accountability buddy stuff, um, where Sammy is like supposed to teach Daniel how to do things the JS way. Daniel doesn't like Sammy. Sammy is obnoxious. It worked well. Like there was a hug that like Daniel Garcia sold perfectly by making it look like he wanted to die. Um, that was pretty fun. Jade Cargill. I- Oh, go ahead. I, I like those two together. I think yeah. they've got potential. I think if I want to see them versus the acclaimed, I don't know. Why. I think that would be fun. That would be a really good match. Yeah. Um, Jade Cargill won a squash against someone named, and I swear to God, Vert Vixen, who I don't think jumped once in the match. I don't know uh, what she, that was. Did she, uh, she come had, out with a skateboard? No, but she had Xbox gear on and it looked cool. Ooh. She had the she had the X on her chest, and then she had like the the Y B on her knee pad. That was cool. Okay. Uh, there was a pre tape with Ruby uh, talking about how she didn't want to have to get help to take on Tay and Anna, but now she's got someone, and it's Willow Nightingale who's extremely happy. Um, which uh, she wants to fist bump uh, Ruby, who was not into it, but then did it. Uh, Willow is just the best at being Willow Nightingale. Um. And uh, then we got the main event of uh, Bowens and Billy Gunn against Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. And my one note on it is about what you'd expect. I just yeah. didn't have any time for this bullshit. It was like a 12-minute perfectly professional match that like would have fit into a house show. But like as a main event for a TV show, it's like, all right, let's yeah, Real let's back, uh, Real Backlash 99 vibes here with Billy Gunn and Jeff Jarrett nice. on the other side of a tag match. Uh, I love Jeff Jarrett. I don't know when I'm going to get sick of him, but that day's not here yet. So I love him. And yeah, uh, I mean, there's no real complaint about it. It's just like a competent match. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a nice little TV tag, and the acclaimed will win unless Jarrett's got somebody's ear. I really hope that uh, I'm. I I love the acclaimed. I'm sorry. I want Jarrett to get those belts because I want to see more Jarrett shenanigans because I'm with you. This isn't 2004 TNA where I just want him to go away forever. I love Jeff Jarrett. This is fun as hell. 
hearing him just call people slap nuts and holding up the guitar like a fucking doofus and then hitting people <laughs> over the head with it with that just grimy smile like i can't get enough of it give like, me mma jeff Jarrett. i'm 100 percent in on this yeah and uh you can listen to you've got to be kidding me on that's right the, uh, voice of the wrestling podcast network where i believe they talked about how much they love jeff Jarrett this month as they <laughs> uh cover him uh beating monty brown oh the monty brown month oh yeah yeah that's tough i now just wait until they get past lockdown and then aj styles finally beats him for that title that that was a fun fun month um but now comes the best part of the match and suit the reason why we really wanted to have you on this week talking about the dynamite dozen something that you created um after the the first full calendar year of AEW Dynamite, and you have continued on for each of the last three, what was your inspiration behind this, and why did you end up choosing twelve matches? Well, I'll answer that question first. Uh, I chose twelve uh, because you know, in the English language, twelve is usually considered a dozen, and a dozen and Dynamite both start with D. <laughs> And alliteration works out pretty well. So I knew that was the answer. I had a feeling you were going to say that, and I love it. <laughs> but yeah, my inspiration for the idea was, um, and a lot of it is from Rich Krejci, who talk, who always talks about how how just high level AEW's television wrestling is, and how great their TV matches are, like all the time. So I decided to be like, I decided to put the work in and go, you know what? Let's take a look. Let's see what the best matches on AEW TV were. And let's keep a little ranking going of like how great of like the best matches in AEW TV history so far. And I started, I started it on the first anniversary of Dynamite back in 2020. And I've uh, tweaked the idea. Uh, a couple times, but basically what I do is I take um, user ratings from both the Grapple match rating app, G-R-A-P-P-L, and I uh, add those together with the uh, user ratings from cagematch.net. And uh, yeah, I put those together. Highest rated matches are ranked 1 through 12. And uh, yeah, I... Uh, in the last edition, I have the uh, honorable half dozen, which is the honorable mention section. And uh, yeah, I just keep a running tally of those throughout the year. And when that first week of October comes around, I drop the dynamite dozen and we take a nice look back through the year uh, through AEW's uh, year. And, you know, it's a lot of fun for me getting to uh, go through and see like, and remember certain things. Cause there are matches on every year that I forget happened, but they pop up here and I'm like, Oh yeah, that was really good. And, you know, I do think when AEW eventually gets like some streaming deal where you can watch like old episodes of dynamite, I do think this will be really handy for a lot of people to go through and just see like, so these, you know, great matches on TV aren't just forgotten the time. No, I agree completely, and I think it's a fun, fun exercise. So something that we 
are going to adopt. And I talked to you about last week, we are going to start by running our own dynamite dozen and we are going to have a running tally throughout the rest of the year. And something that I think will be really fun to keep revisiting once a month as we end up having some of these conversations about how good the um, dynamite really is. And I think your series being the antithesis of just reflection and understanding and really enjoying the fact that this company is as good as it is. I think um, I, and I hope that we can do a good job of honoring what, what you started. Cause I think, I think it's a really, really fun concept and something that, just helps people enjoy wrestling more yeah yeah and that's my ultimate goal is just to like you know have like a little run through of the year and have people just remember like oh yeah all this good stuff did happen on this show this is pretty good this dynamite yes absolutely and uh suit we have our initial dynamite dozen rankings are you ready yeah let's hear it let's fred would you like to would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Fred, you're muted. Uh, this is a visual medium. Um, do you want to go 12 to 1 or 1 to 12? 12 to 1. All right, 12 to 1. Now, All right. let me ask you guys, are you going from October to now or are you doing the full year? October, October through now. now. We're okay. trying to um, duplicate what your system is so we can – that I ideally when you release the article, we would like to compare lists yeah. and have a really fun conversation about it. Sounds good. All right. So my number 12 match on the year to date on a W dynamite, uh, after the anniversary show, all the qualifiers, <laughs> um, is, uh, Brian Danielson versus Chris Jericho from the October 12th episode, uh, which I believe was for the ring of honor championship. Um, I went four and a, a quarter stars on that. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think that Danielson has had a quietly really great year. Maybe not quite at the level of some of like his finest years, but still, like I think he's being underappreciated to some extent in terms of best in ring and all those kind of awards. Uh, I like this match a lot. So, do you guys want to alternate, or do you want to just run through the? go through the list yeah we we can alternate so then we can have have a uh we can kind of compare and contrast um my 12th match is john moxley defeating adam page for the AEW world title on october 18th i gave it four stars um i i know that page getting knocked out was brutal and really hindered this match from reaching any kind of heights that you would have wanted it to but i thought the action that you saw in the ring before that was tremendous. And there was a lot of animosity. There's a lot of physicality and brutality going through the crowd. I thought this match was tremendous and it still deserved some shine, even though the finish was 100% suboptimal. All right. I, I like that match pretty well. I was just a little short for me. I think maybe the KO did take it out, uh, take my love of it out a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, uh, my, I'll go ahead, sweet. Oh, I was just gonna say I don't have uh, Danielson versus Jericho on my spreadsheet. Uh, what was the date on that? Uh, October twelfth. 
October 12th. Let me see if I rated that on Cage Match. Did I lose my mind? Which is a possibility. I didn't. I didn't rate it. So if I norm if I don't rate something on oh, uh, grapple, I normally under four stars on it. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I I, I think I'm one. very high on that one. It looks like the cage match rating for it is like six point seven. So I'm definitely yeah, like on an weird. island here. But I, I, I just did, liked it a yeah. lot. I did feel weird about a couple of their matches because it felt I don't know things felt very like it wasn't very fluid. Like they were calling yes. it in the ring, but it wasn't like. They it didn't feel like they had right. organic chemistry. It just yeah. it felt more forced. It's gonna it's like it was it's gonna go down like one of those like Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero things where it's like this should be better. Like you're two great wrestlers. Why is this not working? Thought it worked yeah. for Fred. It number did twelve on his list. There we <laughs> go. All right, let's pop to number eleven. Fred. On I've ahead. got a. I've got uh, Jack Perry versus Luchasaurus, The Return, I believe it was. Or actually, no, it was the first one of their series. Um, I thought that was a really good match, too, from the same episode, October 12th. Um, it was kind of a cheap finish, I think, with uh, Luchasaurus going over, thanks to Christian Cage getting involved. But that helped set up the uh, pay-per-view cage match, which uh, also overachieved, I thought. Um but yeah, I like this a lot. I thought both guys worked their asses off. Uh, Luchasaurus uh, looked better than I thought he would, and Perry had a very solid uh, performance. All right. Um, I do want to tell you guys that uh, this goes for all TV matches, by the way, not just Dynamite. So Rampage, oh, we, 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 we're, oh. we're purists here on uh, the good. Oh, we, we are just doing Dynamite, baby. Get the wow. Rampage the Hard hell out of here. There you go. All right. There are nope. maybe one or two Rampage matches that would even come close to qualifying anyways. Yeah, I'd still like to add those little qualifiers. Fair. The, the, the B show and the B and B show means beat it because we're only talking about <laughs> dynamite. All right, Tyler, what's your number 11? Uh, the Elite uh, defeating Death Triangle in the latest of their seven-match series um, on December 21st gave it four stars. We talked about this earlier. I just, I was overall just a little underwhelmed um, with the match, but I did think it was really good because it's two teams like that are just tremendous. Um, yeah, they could do this. In, they could do this in their sleep. Yeah, and that's kind of what it felt like. It didn't feel like they kind of went. They had a lot of super creative spots but i think they're probably trying to save some of those for uh game seven which i don't blame them for yeah there you go all right fred number 10 number 10 for me to date is ftr versus swerve in our glory on october 26th uh, i thought this was a really solid match not up to the level of the best stuff either team really did but i thought it was a really good match and keith lee definitely had a uh had several opportunities to show out there. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was, uh, you know, probably, you know, maybe the sixth best FTR match of the year, which is better than it sounds. But yeah, I like this. Yeah, that just speaks to the high level that FTR have wrestled at this year. And the fact that they are probably tag team of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, you know, it might you be the MVP thing where it, like it feels like their year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. Uh, your number ten. 
My 10th is Death Triangle defeating Best Friends from October 18th. I gave that match four stars. I I remember that match. That was there was some fun stuff. Um, you had uh, Orange Cassidy and Pack mixing it up, and they're always tremendous. As my dog cannot decide if he wants to cuddle up next to me or on the other side of the couch. Um, I I really think we missed the boat with Best Friends as a trio, um, like where their peak was. Because I just I think I don't know what the deal is with Trent and Chucky e. T. If they're just fine not doing anything or if they just kind of lost the the passion for wrestling but this match could have been so much better if they, if they had run it a couple of years ago it just felt like there was something missing from those two and i hope whatever it is they find it because best friends rule when they're all in sync yeah this came after a uh pack versus beretta match at battle of the belts that i gave four stars i thought uh i was really into that match so I I don't think it's that. I think it's just they're lower on the card and they're kind of just support for Orange Cassidy right now, who they do see as, you know, a big deal. A, not a big deal, but they see him as a as a guy to usually to carry Rampage. High level second yeah. tier guy, I think. Is yeah, yeah. Right there. there you go. Um, right. Yeah, I, I will add as a note to that that uh, Chuck Taylor, smartest man in the building, was the first elimination in the Battle Royal on Rampage. <laughs> uh, my number nine match is Tyler's number 10 match. I went with uh, Best Friends Death Triangle this spot. Um, the Fredflation effect is in fact is in effect. I went four and a half stars on that one, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I got in my notes here that they had a really uh, cool uh, counter of like a strong zero into a destroyer. I think I got that in the right order. Uh, or no, a destroyer into the strong zero. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Trent Britta's had a, a very solid year and he always works hard when he's on screen, I think. Uh, at least in a real match. Um, maybe not so much the Battle Royal, but yeah. I don't know if I'm a hard grader. I haven't had any of these matches on my four-star sheet yet. Hayden. Hayden asked Williams. I am a tough grader. I yeah. am not. I, I, I'm <laughs> pretty close to Dave, what Dave Meltzer does these days, and some people don't like that, but that's what I do. So. It's your list. That's right. They can Consistency make is the key. Yes, exactly. All right, Tyler, yeah. what's your number nine? Yeah, just just wait until you see my uh, VOW match of the year list. I think I think eight or nine of them I gave five stars. So there's some real inflation going on there. Um, my number nine match ended up being uh, Fred's number eleven with Luchasaurus defeating Jungle Boy Jack Perry. I gave it four and a quarter. I loved this match. I thought it was just the right amount of brutal, and Jungle Boy felt like he was on the same level as the giant and then the giant still ended up putting him away. I thought this was tremendous from start to finish. And I believe this match opened up dynamite, which is exactly yeah. how Tony Khan has loved opening up his shows just with hot matches. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, I did like both of those matches. I didn't love them cause I'm not really into jungle boy, but I do see the potential there. I see the talent there too. And yeah, that was a really good open to Dynamite. And then they went on to have the pay-per-view cage match, which I also enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are on to number eight, our Elite Eight. Fred, kick us off. Uh, I, we have breaking news here. Um, 
Where, uh, oh, dear. You'll see just how breaking this is uh, at the Madison Square Garden WWE show, house show tonight. Um, Karrion Cross and Drew Gulak had a match after a 22-minute intermission. Um, just, just leaving that there. Jesus. <laughs> a 22-minute uh, intermission. My yes. God. And then you come back to uh, good old Carrie and Cross, uh, Triple A's favorite guy. Uh, well, Gaijin, I guess, if you want to go with that. Uh, number eight for me is Brian Danielson against Dax Harwood on November 30th. Uh, this got slammed by some people for not having any reason to happen. That's absolutely That's- correct. Uh, but I thought it was still really good. Danielson, I love him. I'm a mark for him. And I thought Dax had probably his best singles match showing outside of Will Ospreay. I remember like when he was coming out for this match, it was like, well, here goes another wasted Brian Danielson singles match because it's just going to be Dax Harwood like scratching three and a half stars with him. But I thought he actually did very well. And uh, it was a nice showing. I think I don't like that argument. Like it, you know, it's a wrestling show. I know it, it's kind of like why does half of these matches happen anyway? But you know, I, it. You know, sometimes you have sometimes you have to act like this is a wrestling show and have like, you know, sometimes a match just happens. You know. Yeah. And I get it. Uh, yeah, this was uh, this was Dax uh, fishing for wrestler of the year votes. I'm sure he'll enjoy the, uh, you know, couple dozen that he get. Tag team of the year. I like him. Tag team of the year. He'll get, it. He'll get a nice and tidy eighth place finish. Eh, I'm thinking 10. Speaking, speaking of eighth uh, place, that's uh, of just dynamite matches. Uh, this is the eighth highest rated match on cage match of the year. Uh, uh, of the new, you know, the since the anniversary yes. show. Of the new fiscal year for AEW. Yep. There we go. All right, Tyler, your number eight. My number eight is uh, we're going to see a theme over the next few matches. Death Triangle beating the Elite in match four. Winter is coming. <laughs> I gave it four and a quarter. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember anything about this match except the end and the beatdown. Um, but I I thought that this is one of their better showings. They, yeah, that that's that's about all I remember. I think the beatdown was match five. No, the beatdown was match four. Well, they did a beat. Oh, the beatdown was match five. It was the post match that I remember because that's when the elite laid out the yeah. challenge. Yes, yes, but um, I, yeah, them. This was the Southern Tag one where uh, Nick got hurt, his ankle got hurt, and um, went to the, the back uh, for a while. Yeah, went to the back, came back, fired up, but then uh. They took the hammer to the ankle, and uh, Phoenix locked on a, a, a knee bar and got a tap. So, yeah, I do. I like that they, ha- um, of the normal matches, they switched up the styles a little bit throughout where, uh, you know, match one was the, well, it was the pay-per-view match, so it was the go-all-out one. Match two was Elite Working Heel in Chicago. Match three was the uh, was the uh, brawl on the ramp and everybody and getting jumped on the apron, and then match four was the southern tag. So I do like that they worked the normal matches a little bit different each time. So yeah, this one is on my list. I also have it at four and a quarter. I think this was my thirteenth, if I recall correctly. So just missing it. Yeah. Bro- 
right off the cusp. All right, Fred, hop to your number seven, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, speaking of Elite and Death Triangle, I went with match number three here from the uh, November 30th show. Um, this was, as Stu just mentioned, the uh, big, the big brawl to start. Uh, this was a wild match. I thought it was a pretty good combination of the uh, of an all-out spot fest and a heated brawl, kind of a hybrid of those two styles. And there was a um, packed in an avalanche Falcon Arrow, which is just crazy to think about. Um, I match. feel like... I feel like a lot of this list is going to be those uh, the four TV matches those teams have had. I've only I've got, got two of them team. on here, so really, okay. yeah, I, I I was lower on the last one uh, by a bit than the ones before. So, all right, Tyler, your number seven. My number seven. Hey, uh, we have the elite beating Death Triangle uh, <laughs> from eleven thirty. Um, the third match in their series, I gave it four and a quarter. Um, I really liked this. Um, I liked how I was this, the, I, these matches all blend in together and my football life has me completely forgetting little nuances of these matches. Was this where, um, they kind of flipped the script with the, with the hammer and like, I think Omega and Phoenix are standing in the ring with each with hammers. I believe so. That was either okay. This- uh, which match was this on your list? The third Three. one? Yes, yes, I believe so. Yeah. This match ruled. Yes. I did like the uh, the finish of, uh, I think Phoenix had, uh, no, Pac had went for a red arrow. And uh, uh, Matt got the knees up, rolled them up, the got the win. This was the Matt Jackson legacy game, as uh, as Twitter mm-hmm. dubbed it. I uh, Yeah. Thank you for helping me with my analysis that I completely yeah. spaced on. Um, no, the finish is what did it for me because it yeah. wasn't that Pack got at knee the, the knees up and Pack hit them. It was that he hit them with his broken face. Yeah, and then sold it like death. He looked like a limp pasta noodle as Matt Jackson is trying to flip him over for a roll up. That was so well done. Yes, Pack is excellent Wait. at. Excellent at selling. Go ahead, Fred. When he does that, like specific, like going limp sell, it's just the best thing. Yes, I concur. Uh, what number are we at? Seven, six, six. We're at six, six. now. Top six. Halfway uh, home. Combo breaker here. I went with the uh, October fifth anniversary show main event of Chris Jericho and Samuel Guevara against Brian Danielson and short term babyface Daniel Garcia. Uh, I liked this match a whole lot. I thought everyone worked really hard in it, and uh, I thought Daniel Garcia was looking really good coming out of that match. Um, but I liked that a ton. I went, uh, I think, four and a half on that, and uh, strong recommendation on that one. There you go, Tyler. Number six. Well, I, I I don't know if we've talked about these guys enough, but Death Triangle defeating the Elite <laughs> from eleven twenty three. I gave it four and a quarter. This one I thought was brilliant because the first match we obviously had uh, Phoenix finally using the hammer for the first time, but then the Elite pulled out a hammer, and then they they duped him again with the hammer. And I thought it was it was really nice storytelling to kind of play on the first match. And yeah. I, re- I remembered my analysis this time, and I feel good about that. Um, 
no, that it, this was my favorite of their their matches on Dynamite so far. Um, I would still put the um, trios match from Full Gear ahead of all these matches, but it's I also they they want more all for the pay per view, and I don't blame them one bit. Yes, I I love this match. The energy for this uh for this from that Chicago crowd was this had the feel of a dynamite. Like this felt just. <laughs> Red hot throughout, and then you know, you always got to watch out for the double hammers. No one expects the double hammer. Uh, I had this one at four and a half uh, on my notes, so that is match two of the best of seven. All right, Fred, number five. It's the second match between Death Triangle and Elite. Uh, that's you know, I just uh, went one spot higher than uh, Tyler. I don't really have anything to add to this. It was just fantastic. So copy and paste. There that's we go, right. <laughs> Tyler. Number five. My number five is MJF defeating Ricky Starks at Winners Coming twelve fourteen. I gave it four and a quarter. I loved this match. I thought they did a great job of working in Ricky Starks' finishers of the Spear and the Rochambeau. And then when you got the referee involved, MJF just fucking kicked him in the dick and got the pin. I thought it was it was the perfect way for MJF and his slimy character to win his first title defense. And of course, he's just you just got the biggest ego and he's just cocky as all hell about it. I thought this was incredibly well done. And I I wish I could have gone a little higher with the rating because I did really love it. But I thought it, it just never hit that high, high gear for me. I get that. I don't think that I don't know if they're saving stuff for down the road because there may not, you know, this may not be the direction for down the road, but you know, I felt like they had a better match in them. Yes. And I think they do. And I think if they get another chance, they'll have, they'll have another great, they'll have another great match. All right. We are at our top four. Fred, number four, if you don't mind. Number four for me was off the November 9th episode of Dynamite with uh, the main event of Brian Danielson against Sammy Guevara in the best two out of three falls match. Uh, I liked this match a lot. I thought it was worked and structured really well. Uh, Sammy Guevara getting himself intentionally DQ'd in the first fall and then uh, by just flinging a chair into Danielson's face while being a complete dick. Uh, was really great for him um, and kind of you got these glimpses of this is what Sammy this is what main event Sammy Guevara would look like uh, from this night I thought um, the third fall was fantastic uh, just really good work throughout uh, but I love this match yes this is where for me Sammy they're starting to write the ship with Sammy after a rough year and this is where I feel that started that uh, that build to the full gear four way where he was also really great. I went four and a quarter on that one. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, if they just have Sam Guevara just work a bunch of matches as a dick, but he's really good at wrestling, uh, people will forget about the whole stupid Andrade and Kingston stuff and all that other stuff. So, I was talking about the Scorpio Sky stuff. Oh, that too. That was that was a rough yeah. year. That was yeah, rough. rough year. Rough year for Sam. That too. He was a baby face at some point. Remember that. <laughs> For oh, some yeah. reason. All right, Tyler, your number. What number is this? Four? Four. four. There um, we go. This, number four. This was this was a tremendous birthday present on 12-7. Samoa Joe defeating Darby Allen. I gave it four and a half stars. This was <laughs> this this match was something. Um 
Samoa Joe just beat the living shit out of Darby, and Darby just took it and got in his face and asked for more. It was you could not have asked for more from these two, and they worked really well considering Samoa Joe loves playing the style of a bully, and there's nobody better at selling or being a ragdoll than Darby Allen in this company. I, I don't, I don't know if they could ever put on a better match, but I wouldn't doubt it either. If I had ranked 12 of my personal favorites so far, I'm not lying when I'm saying this might be my number one. This is firmly my kind of wrestling. I love it. This was Darby Allen at his ragdoll and best. This was Joe just being vicious about it. I adore this match. I went four and a half on it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Fred, number three. Let's get to the medal stand. I went with the women's divisions version of the uh, big meaty men slapping meat. Uh, Hikaru <laughs> Shida and Jamie Hayter from just last week, uh, they just beat the shit out of each other, and it was awesome. Uh, this is, if you want to uh, revitalize a division, just have two of your best workers go out there and just beat the hell out of each other. And that's a pretty good path to it. Makes it easy. There mm-hmm. you go. Four and a quarter on it. I think best TV match the women have ever had. I, I love... Go back and look at the Reho stuff. Because I, like I, I I'd go back to Britt and Rosa, that first match, the... Yeah. The St. Patrick's uh, Slam. Yeah, that, yeah, that I was... Five. I broke the yeah. scale for that because I'm one of those dirty perverts. Uh, but I think I gave it like five and a half. Uh, I thought it was just an amazing, amazing match. But lightning yeah, this was a lot of fun. They caught lightning in a bottle on that. They night. did. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler, your bronze medalist. Number three, if you don't mind. From 12-14, gave it four and a half stars. Action Andretti defeating Chris Jericho. Wow. I thought... Like, I thought... So many of the little nuanced things, controlling the crowd, Jericho working with this kid, and not just taking the loss and then being a baby about it, taking the loss and letting the kid shine. Those so many little nuances, because I thought Action Andretti was a little rough at spots. I thought his moves just were not crisp. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily bother me because it can it can feel more real at that point. I, there were opportunities where this could have been even higher for me, but I thought the professionalism, the experience, the willingness to put somebody else over of Chris Jericho, that one, I think firmly cements him um, on pro wrestling's Mount Rushmore. But two, it ended up being potentially the um, the one, two, three kid moment, the, the John Cena moment against uh, Kurt Angle, like, or like Maven beating Undertaker, like just moments where people stand like wrestle against their somebody who's way, way, way better. And they just show out. And I think in 10 years, we may look back on this as being the best of them because of how Jericho made it happen because he wanted to not because he had to. And that's why this got such a high rating from me. Yeah. And this is where like the star rating, like, conversation kind of like comes into play because as far as like what they were trying to do you can't do it any better than they did this is like a five star perfect performance for what they were trying to do 
but because like wrestling star ratings are kind of like skewed toward like pay-per-view style like you know great matches it doesn't mm-hmm. really like matches like this don't really fit on the scale yeah but you know you explaining why you went that way like i like i get your rating for it like i yeah like jericho couldn't have done a better job of like mm-hmm. selling the shock of this kid fighting like putting up a fight and then actually beating him because like when he kicked out of the uh code breaker jericho did he did the best shocked face i've seen in wrestling in a long time because he didn't look like he got tapped with a taser <laughs> so and he just looked like wait wait why did he kick out like what's going on here like he looked confused more than shocked and yeah. so the match keeps going, and then Andretti, he doesn't just roll him up. He just hits him with a move and wins. And Jericho's just laying in the ring, and he's like, what just happened? He looks shell-shocked. Like, he doesn't even realize what just happened. So as far as, like, what they were trying to do, like, it couldn't have gotten over anymore in that building. It couldn't have gotten over anymore, like, from the reaction I've I saw online, this because this was after the fact. I uh, I watched Dynamite later that night because I was at work during it. And while that match is going, I'm thinking, wait, Jericho doesn't do squash matches. This is weird. <laughs> and then, well, he didn't do a squash match. So yeah, very cool, very fun. Ha- like. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. And the All one right. thing interesting thing, Sue, is that yeah, like star ratings, like what what's interesting is it's kind of like movie ratings where if you show, gave me two five-star movies, they could be completely different in their plot, their sequencing, how they're shot. Like there is no true cookie cutter answer. Like this is a five-star match. Or I, how everything's laid out, and I think the if you look at everything from what the perspective of what they're doing and how their match is, and I think that's how I like to draw my ratings because this was so different from almost everything else you see, but it was great and it was entertaining. It was excellent. It was action packed. It had the crowd story. got into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what bumped it up even more for me is because it, that crowd was so into it and so absorbed, like just, just all time stuff from Jericho too. And I think that really put it over. And ready kicking out of the code breaker and the crowd, giving him a standing ovation, despite not knowing his name. Chanting. Let's go jobber was awesome. That's, that is a special moment in like mm-hmm. dynamite history, and if they can build on it, it'd be it'll look even better in hindsight. All right, let's hop on to number two, Fred, your silver medalist, your second best match of AEW's fiscal year. Uh, my number two spot went to the assassination of Darby Allen by the coward Samoa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
you know, I've always thought like, you know, I remember growing up watching Nitro back in the late 90s and uh, like Rey Mysterio flying everywhere. And you'd have Dusty Rose or Larry Zabisco on commentary actively burying him because, you know, he's going to end his career so early, you know, because he's just going to hurt himself and he's definitely going to just fall apart into a million pieces. And I've always thought that kind of argument is kind of overblown. I mean, look at where all these luchadors are. They all have like 40 year careers. Rey Mysterio is still doing matches and really good matches, as a matter of fact, uh, on occasion when he gets the chance. And, um, you know, it always seems kind of over blown when you like you hear concerns about how hard someone bumps or you know like the long-term damage and then i have darby allen who i 100 feel this way about he just does these absolutely ridiculous bumps that like nobody in the world should be uh doing and it's just insane it's just you know this mojo match like he did a zillion of them uh he's just bumping all over the place with absolutely no self-regard um, and just making Samoa Joe look like the baddest guy to ever walk the face of the planet. Uh, I thought this was awesome, and uh, I just love this match. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. I I really cannot put that match over like enough. Like Samoa Joe brought the fight here that he brought to. Well, not as much as he brought to Necro Butcher that one time. That's an all-time ass-kicking. But it was close. It was very close. Uh, Tyler, let me get your number two match of the past two months. My number two match was Jamie Hayter defeating Hikaru Shida on 12-21. Gave it four and a half stars. This is just two women going in there beating ever living shit out of each other. And I thought it was just tremendous pro wrestling. They were um, one professional in the ring with each other Two, They had no issue laying into one another and three, everything was sequenced. Well, everything was fast paced, hard hitting. It was everything that I want in a wrestling match. And so, like sometimes I've noticed with like the women's wrestling, they don't like to lay into each other enough. Oh, these girls had no issue with it. And I thought it was excellent, excellent, excellent. This should be the standard bearer for AEW women's matches. Even if you can't get to these heights, this is what you should do to get over. Because it worked with this crowd. It worked with me. And there, I don't know if there's anybody more over right now than Jamie Hayter in AEW. And that's very impressive. Yeah, I see that problem a lot too with guys like coming up in the Japanese scene as well. Like, uh, like Shota Umino, I think he's got a little problem with like not laying in enough. Yoda Suji, when I've seen him on excursion, like you don't want these guys getting killed out there, but they also, you know, uh, they also, you know, you want to lay it in a little bit. And mm-hmm. yeah, these two didn't have any problem with that, so. Uh, all right, we are at our number one for the Dynamite Dozen for the end of 2022. Fred, lay it well, on me, brother. I got to say that uh, it looks like Tyler and I have the exact same number one match because I can see mm-hmm. his list. He can see mine. So in the uh, spirit of the giving season, uh, Tyler, why don't you lead off on this one? 
All right. Okay. Well, um, uh, our number one match is Chris Jericho defeating Tomaru Ishii for the Ring of Honor World Championship. 11-23. We both gave it four and three quarter stars. I will never, ever forget Chris Jericho getting the lion tamer on Tomohiro Ishii and Ishii screaming in pain, looking up at Chris Jericho, giving him the finger, and he never stops giving him the finger and taps out with that finger. Just (laughs) all-time moment, and this was the perfect type of match to put on a show that you know is not going to necessarily get your highest ratings because it's for people like us, people who are diehards who love this shit more than almost anything in the world. And they delivered. You had a great story with Ishii being a young boy in WAR when Jericho was there. You had two guys who are just incredible in-ring workers, the utmost professional, and they delivered in every possible way you could have asked for. This was peak pro wrestling. Just utterly tremendous. Jericho being so willing to like, have his chest bleed yes. from the chops. Oh, just yeah. incredible. Fred, that was your number one as well? That was my number one uh, for the exact I, same reasons. The chop I battle to begin, know. the middle finger tap out, Ishii hitting a lion, t- or I'm sorry, a, a code breaker um, for two, uh, and Ishii kicking out of a lion salt at one, just like no fucks given. This was tremendous. I mean, this was a work of art, but in the Louvre. The best Ishii showing in AEW so far. Yeah. And like it's just a great match, period. Like this is gonna be the this is gonna be that match that I look back on when I'm doing the list next year. It's like that did happen. Yeah. yeah. I went four and a half on it. This was on the same show as the second match in the uh in the trio series. Yeah, yeah that was a wild a, show. A great show. And yeah, there we go. That is our Dynamite Dozen for the end of 2022. First Uh, quarter. This -hmm. is very helpful for me because I am going to write those matches down. So when I do my research next year, I know, okay, where do I start? Well, absolutely. Well, we, I will send you the document that we will be using to keep track suit. So you can continue. Um, Were there any matches that you thought should have been on one of these lists that were not. Let me take a look, because I've got a lot of full gear on here. Uh, we mentioned Guevara and Danielson. I put uh, Shibata versus Orange Cassidy from Rampage on my list. I gave that four stars. Was it a four-star match? Maybe, maybe not. But it's Katsuyori Shibata wrestling. Yeah, Four stars, yeah. baby! And we didn't do Rampage on our list, because we yeah, wanted to be yeah. here to Dynamite, but I, I think we hit everything over the last three months, which I think is pretty good. Yeah, uh, it looks like the, the highest rated match I have from Just a Dynamite that we did not talk about was on uh, the 16th of November when Top Flight and AR Fox faced uh, Death Triangle. That was good, yeah. but to me, it was forgettable. It was good. It was a little AR Fox showcase, but it, it was, you know, I wouldn't have it like high up on a list yeah another one that i do think merits mentioned but didn't and you know obviously didn't make my list but was very fun and much better than it should have been probably was uh brian cage against wardlow on october 5th 
that was a very fun two big guys doing high spots to each other match. Yeah, and then a match that I have noted again from Rampage. So, hey, keep an eye out. A uh, little John Moxley versus Kanosuke Takeshita. That would have been at least top three for me, if not number one. Uh, I adored that match. Fantastic stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. great stuff. Great stuff. Suit, we greatly appreciate you coming on here. Um, This is, I know this is your brainchild, and I'm glad we could at least keep it respectable for what what your vision has been. Um, We will continue to bring you on and and continue to have good conversations about this, but we want to give you an opportunity to plug whatever you have going on because I know life is busy for your old Suit Williams. It is, it is. If you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Twitter, at Suit Williams. Uh, I'm also on VoicesOfWrestling.com. I have my uh, continuing Brock Lesnar series, The Brockumentary, covering his uh, first run in the WWE. I can uh, tell you right now, I have plans for the final two chapters, the Eddie Guerrero No Way Out 2004 match, and the Goldberg uh, WrestleMania 20 match. Um, I've stalled this long. So if you could, if you have an idea of when it, of when I may drop those, you're probably right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I am just around voiceswrestling.com a lot. I'm probably gonna hop on the wrestle kingdom, uh, review, probably going to do it live. Cause why not? And, uh, yeah, just keep your eyes out for me there. Beautiful. Thanks so much for being on, Suit. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can email the show at HungyPod at gmail.com. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at the Real Forno. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Flagrant Wrestling. And uh, make sure you like and subscribe uh, to the show. And feel free that if you're listening on YouTube to leave us a comment. If you have any questions, please feel free to shoot us a DM or um, leave a message in our our channel in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. And if you love football, make sure you follow my work as I'm the managing editor of the Vikings Wire, uh, the best team in the National Football League that nobody will give any credit to. In the meantime, have a wonderful day, everybody. Happy holidays, y'all. Take care. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.